Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I tell you, I'm so excited about having our guest on today. I'm going to introduce them in a minute. I'm going to give you a little background about why they're here and what they really are going to talk about. You know, this has been a just incredibly crazy last year. I mean, every single day we hear reports about, you know, unemployment rate just going through the roof here in the United States. And job reports are way less than you know, anyone I think anticipated they would be, um, except for, you know, despite the fact that 2020 has been one of the worst years in recent history for most businesses, and with unemployment rates skyrocketing, 2020 was a good year for the cannabis industry, which enjoyed a spike in both revenue and job growth. You know, November 3rd was, you know, a victory for some who wanted to see change, but it was also a victory for the cannabis industry in this country. Leafly has just issued their 2020 cannabis job report. And here to talk about it with me today are, are two of the three authors, Leafly senior editor, Mr. Bruce Barcott, and Leafly culture editor, Janessa Barkley. Thank you. So, I'm sorry, Janessa Bailey. Thank you both so much for being a part of the show today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Montel. Great to uh, be here to bring some amazing news, really. It, it is amazing news because, you know, when you, you know, uh, and there's some good news and some bad news. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about both. But, you know, when we think about how many jobs there are in America's legal marijuana industry, I'm going to quote directly from your report. And I'm going to read this. It says the 2021 Leafly Jobs Report found 321,000 full-time equivalent jobs supported by the legal cannabis industry as of January 2021. And to put that into perspective, this is what I'm quoting directly from your article. In the United States, there are more legal cannabis workers than there are electrical engineers. There are more legal cannabis workers than there are EMTs and paramedics. There are more than twice as many legal cannabis workers as there are dentists. And those jobs aren't limited to Colorado and California. Medical marijuana is now legal in 37 states while 15 states and the District of Columbia have legalized cannabis for adult use in Florida, there are more cannabis workers than there are plumbers. In Pennsylvania, that state's most famous steel industry employs roughly 36,000 workers, and the state's not-so-famous legal cannabis industry employs 16,000 workers. And in Michigan, there are more cannabis workers than there are cops. Come on, my goodness. I mean, I know... You anticipated the report was going to shock a lot of people, but, you know, this is whopping gross. Uh, you know, the cannabis industry enjoyed a 32% job growth in 2020 over 2019 and a whopping 161% growth since 2017. And we're living in a time right now where, you know, most, uh, I guess, one of the most recent polls that came out said suggest that, you know, clearly now this has been the highest number that we've seen to date. I think it's 63% plus agree with adult use cannabis. We know that the numbers for medical cannabis are somewhere, you know, teetering on 90 to 91% nationally. We had a president and a vice president ask this question, who are now recently elect president and vice president, who have been asked this question. But here we are now, you know, almost a full month into their administration. And I have not heard one word out of either one of them talking about cannabis 
and its impact on us as a nation, but cannabis and the promises that they made before they took office. What do you think? Um, first off, I, I hope that Leafly has sent a copy of this report directly to the president of the United States and the vice president. Yeah, we tried it. We One of the reasons we put this report out every year is because the federal government actually does not count cannabis jobs because of federal prohibition. Uh, the Federal Department of Labor refuses to consider cannabis jobs as legal, you know, exist as, as jobs that actually exist. And we know that we know that they exist. Um, and we know that because of these numbers there, there is political power uh, behind these cannabis jobs. Um, so, yes, we are getting this report on the desks uh, of policymakers. And I think, you know, the, it's not just the fact that these jobs, you know, exist and are growing at such an incredible rate. Um, there are, you know, really serious issues behind these jobs numbers that I know you want, we want to get into. Um, and that involves not just passing, you know, federal uh, legalization uh, through the MORE Act right now, but passing a, a bill with the MORE Act that has real teeth in terms of equity and equality and making sure there's opportunity for everyone in this industry. And maybe I'll, I'll uh, pass it on to, to my colleague, Janessa, who's done a lot of work in this area in looking into um, who actually is able to come in and gain a license and open a store. Well, I mean, you know, before we turn Janessa, I want you to definitely jump in on this whole issue because, you know, I, I personally feel like, you know, the entire idea of equity has just been, um, you know, lip service. Uh, in this country where we've seen nationally, I think it's less than, you know, what is it, less than 12% of all ownership of any cannabis regulated in the United States is of owned by a person of color or a female or any person in the minority industry. That's That to me just says it all because we look back at the fact that, you know, I mean, geez, it should at least be, I mean, if, if you wanted to think about it, it should at least be a minimum of 20% considering the fact that since prohibition of cannabis, 80% of those arrested and put in prison for cannabis has been people of color. So it seems so ignorant to me that those who have bore the brunt, those who fought the battle the hardest, those who have really literally been out there trying their best to change the laws, don't get any opportunity. What do you think about that, Jessica? Jennison? Well, I think that we're at a place where we can really try and close a gap. Um, it is still really costly and it's really dangerous for a lot of minorities, a lot of disenfranchised people to try to enter into this industry. And I think we are at a very unique time. Um, and whether that's because the pandemic slowed us down, whether that's because of the overwhelming amount of people who support cannabis, where we can actually dictate how we want to set this industry up. Um, it's still in a in very early stages, even in the multiple states where things are medicinally legal or where they are recreationally legal. But there's a lot of pushback um, in several different places where they say, you know, let's slow down and let's actually build this industry as we want it to go. You know, let's be proactive about what we can do to make this better and to make this, you know, the best American industry, if not that we've ever created, because people are owed a certain amount of opportunity and people are owed a certain amount of resources resources and a certain amount of help, especially because they've been so damaged by what's happened with um, marijuana, the war on drugs, and everything that the government has kind of put into place as far as uh, drug enforcement. 
I, I just don't, I really, it's hard for me to understand where the mindset is um, among those who are funding, those who are getting licenses. I was, I've been involved, you know, I, I think you know this, I've been involved in the cannabis industry for the last 20 years. Um, this wasn't something I got involved with five years ago, 10 years ago, when it became the green rush, you know, back before it was vogue to even testify before legislators. I was out testifying for legislators across this country and have had made a couple of attempts of getting into the industry and have found it literally almost, you know, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. As much as I have been involved in helping change the legislation in California, Massachusetts and Connecticut and New Jersey, Governor Corzine even said in his, in his signing of the first marijuana bill that it was my testimony to help push him over the hump. And yet I really have found it very difficult to find an opportunity in this industry. Um, I did have my own product line out for a while, but realized that, you know, it wasn't necessarily a favorable partnership that I had joined. And, you know, another partnership that uh, I looked at in even the state of Florida, I recognized that, you know, people just wanted to hang my name on the, the application because of the color of my skin, but literally I had no input into something that I helped to create. And I mean, I, I find it just difficult to figure out how to crack this nut. I mean, as much as Janessa uh, can say, I mean, I, I do hear you when you say time is now for us to help create this industry, but you can't create it if you're not invited to the table. Yes, I absolutely agree. Um, and looking into different parts of social equity programs, what is working, what is not working, you have to be able to divide it into really actionable areas. You know, who are you allowing to participate in the industry itself? Who are you allowing to access the product in different states? Would it be easier if this was all the same in every single different state so that people could be multi-state operators or so that products could travel across the nation and business? could actually be successful and sustainable. Um, there are so many solutions that could be put into place that would help businesses a lot more, but it is incredibly hard to find footing. A lot of businesses and business owners, they are using their own savings. They're using, you know, they're borrowing money from friends and family, and they're trying to find some way to stay in this industry when there's constantly red tape being put up against them, when there's constantly fees and applications and licensing structures that they have to figure out, um, obtain legal resources, or, you know, continue to pay rent on property while they're still waiting to be able to operate out of that place. There's a lot that just doesn't actually add up and work for people. And so that is why Yes, it is the perfect time, but also we have to commit to restorative justice. We have to commit to transformative justice because we cannot keep thinking that the system, the way that it is set up, is going to lead to better results in the future. Bruce, let's take a look more at, more at the report and, you know, the job growth projections versus reality. I mean, there's, uh, and I, I want to make sure one of you give out the site that people can go to so they can read your entire report. Yes, um, just go to Leafly News and really just Google Leafly Jobs Report 2021. It'll take you to a nice uh, summary of the report itself. And then you can download the full report that has a lot uh, on individual states. 
And when, and when you look at some of the tabs that you have in this report, I mean, I looked at the one that, you know, shows since 2017, you know, U.S. campus industry has averaged a 27.5% growth uh, every single year. And there's no other industry in the country that even comes close in comparison. And when you look at the 10-year projected growth of cannabis, it literally, you know, dwarfs every other industry in America. The same way it did when America was founded. I mean, what people don't recognize what's old is new again. We keep talking about cannabis as if this is something new. And it's only been the last hundred years, close to hundred years, give it another seven, eight, you know, by the time we hit 2037, we will hit hundred years, but it's only been prohibited for hundred years. Before that, this was what was really the backbone of America. People don't get the fact that every one of our forefathers grew it. There was laws that required and mandated the growth of hemp. And back then they weren't worried about whether or not that hemp was 0.003%, 1% THC. They didn't care. There were plenty of people who were talking about the fact that they would walk out and have the best day of their life would be when they enjoyed the sunset with the hemp cigarette. So come on now. And, you know, recently when they, they, they oh, about 10 years ago, when they looked at Benjamin Franklin's pipes that were on his desk in the Smithsonian Institute, and they scraped around inside of it, they realized that, oh, Ben wasn't just sitting back smoking tobacco. He wasn't. Ben was smoking hemp. We lived off of hemp. We don't, you know, it's it just, it's it blows my mind that people can't for one second just stop and remember. 300 years ago, there was no air conditioning. There was no heat. People had just started sleeping off the ground. You know, everybody walked around in America back in 1700, pretty much drunk all day because we made sure there was alcohol in all the water we consumed because you couldn't consume water straight out of a stream and they weren't boiling water all day long. So we had 0.2, I'm mean, sorry, 2.2, 2.7% beer that people drank, even babies. And I'm, I'm not trying to be rude, but we also got to remember that, you know, you were walking out in the woods, taking a bunch of leaves to wipe your butt. There was no rolls of toilet paper. So, I mean, you know, this was a hardy time. And, you know, people enjoyed the fact that they could at least have a mild euphoria in their life all day long. So hemp was part of the fabric of America. Every rope, every sail, the entire Revolutionary Army was clothed in hemp uniforms, you know. Uh, the word canvas that led us across the country comes from the word cannabis. So it's just so ridiculous now that all of a sudden we think that we're reinventing the wheel and we're not. This is something that really made this country grow and could now help the country to grow out of its problems. The cellulose material from uh, uh, hemp and from cannabis has now been found and discovered to be able to retain and hold more electricity than even graphite. So we have two publicly traded companies right now that are selling hemp-based batteries. Yeah, I think, Go yeah, I think you're, you're onto something there, Montel. I mean, one of the things that uh, I think we, we see here is, um, you know, I, I heard President Biden's uh, climate czar, John Kerry, speak a few weeks ago, and he was talking about green energy and, and encouraging um, a group of wealthy investors to invest in green energy because it was, you know, they were among the fastest growing jobs in America. And he was saying, you know, look at, at wind powers growing at about, you know, 61 percent 
over a 10-year period. Look at solar power, 51% over a 10-year period. Well, what he didn't say was uh, cannabis has actually grown 161% over just a four-year period, and that, that growth has actually happened. That's not a projection. So what you're saying is, you know, there, the, the growth is... Um, the growth here is just beginning. I think that, you know, this is growth that's just based on medical marijuana products and adult use cannabis products. And that's a very limited portion of the plant that's used. You know, what you're talking about, you know, all think about all of the, the stalks and stems and seeds and everything um, that's part of the plant that I think as the years go by and people discover new uses for, you know, when I'm done turning uh, hemp leaves and the flower into a product for my retail store, you know, that, uh, that, that, that pressed plant, that, that, that uh, the stock is going to have some use downstream for other industries. I think we're just at the tip of the uh, tip of the iceberg here. Well, we do know for a fact that hemp does absorb more CO2 from the atmosphere than normal plants. And so if we just used it, you know, it also helps, you know, uh, uh, leach impurities out of the soil so if we just were to plant furrow fields and just plant in places where, you know, it's one of the hardiest weeds that there is, that's why we call it weed, because it is a weed. It grows without a lot of, you know, attention. I'm not talking about the stuff that you really want to be able to consume, but, you know, we could just fly over some of the, the arid desert areas in the United States and just drop seeds. And especially if it's during, you know, March, April, May, when there's rain, it's going to grow. And while it's growing, it's going to suck CO2 out of the atmosphere. So we could actually have something to help combat, you know, the loss of the deforestation, but we could also help combat, you know, the CO2 levels on the planet. So I just don't get it. Give out some more information in your report, because I want people to know and really understand, you know, the fact that in the first off, I, I appreciate you mentioned it, but let's talk about it again. This job report is done by Leafly and I guess your partner, because the federal government will not report these numbers. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, the um, this report first came about back in 2017 when we asked a reporter at Leafly to to find the numbers. Like, well, listen, how many people are actually employed? How many jobs are supported by legal cannabis? And our reporter went away, and a few weeks later came back and said, um, "Nobody knows." <laughs> so, what do you mean nobody knows? What What are you talking about? Somebody must be counting. And they he said, "No, nobody's counting. The federal government isn't counting. The states aren't counting." And so we started talking with some economists who specialize in cannabis and, and labor economics. And we asked them, look, if you were going to do this, how would you start to, to quantify how many people are in it? And it's taken us, you know, a good four years to work out a process by which we can look at each state and, and you know, have a pretty solid estimate as to how many people uh, are in the cannabis industry. And this isn't just to be clear, this isn't just uh, what we call plant touching uh, workers, you know, people who are growing the cannabis or who are selling it, who are bud tenders in a, a dispensary or a licensed store. These include bookkeepers. These include lawyers. These include, you know, editors and journalists like Janessa and myself. Um, these include uh, seed distributors. They include the folks who are designing and building and selling lighting systems um, and fencing systems and security systems. There's a whole ecosystem of services that have been set up to serve the cannabis industry in large part because it can be difficult uh, to get services from mainstream companies. I mean, if I am a licensed legal 
cannabis company in the state of Washington and I'm paying my taxes, a lot of taxes, by the way, I'm paying my taxes, I still can't walk into a Chase bank and open up a normal checking account. They will not accept my, 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 uh, my company. And Janessa, I mean, with all these ancillary services out there, you would think that there would be an opportunity for so many other people of color and women to participate, but that's not the story, correct? And especially, you know, when you think about an industry that I don't know what the total amount of liquor sales were uh, last year, but this is an industry that sold, what, $18.3 billion worth of cannabis in 2019 alone. That's a 71% increase from years before, 18.3 billion. These are people who were making a decision to choose cannabis over alcohol. I understand that alcohol sales were down during 2019 and 2020 because I guess people finally recognize the fact that they don't want to sit around waking up with a bad head every single day and makes it it's a lot easier to wake up after you've uh, you know relaxed using cannabis than it is after you've relaxed from three, four fifths of wine. Absolutely. I mean, we were talking about how good hemp is as a crop, how good cannabis is as a crop, but as an industry, it's sustainable for a lot of different reasons. It's sustainable more for our health. It's sustainable more for the way that things can be created. And I think people are really perking up around the numbers. Now that we've got the numbers out here, when, when we do our due diligence and track them down, you know, people are really intrigued by that. And that's another place where we have to watch out for things. It sounds like you had a personal experience with this, but, you know, there does get to be scenarios where there are very tricky deals. And, you know, it is very um, advantageous for a lot of businesses right now to say that they are Black-owned, to say that they are led by some a minority or a person of color. But does that person really have ownership and is that person really getting a cut for what they are uh, uh, you know what they are truly doing in this industry which is providing a commodity and a medicine for people who are really in need and for people who you know don't necessarily want to take opioids or they don't necessarily want to ingest you know unnatural substances into their bodies to me, that is true sustainability in a different way. I think it shows that, you know, we have a very long future ahead of us and people are just grappling to get in there. And unfortunately, there are too many obstacles in the way for people of color to do that. In the report, we say that, you know, less than 2% of businesses are owned by Black people. Why is that? That, that? that absolutely does not make sense. Like many of the other statistics we see that are disproportionate um, amounts of Black arrests or compared to the amount of consumption um, that Black people have compared to white people. There's a lot that we have to get correct before we can allow people to start saying, you know, I, I deserve a, a huge chunk, a huge fraction of this industry and of this money. And that's very big, uh, a very huge part of what I do in my work. <laughs> but, you know, I think until, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say this and maybe I'm being a little naive, but I think it's because of just pure and simple ignorance, lack of knowledge. People don't know what's going on. People don't want to see the truth. You know, there are people who are coming home and they know that their kids are upstairs or their husband's in the garage or their grandma's at the kitchen table just finished the joint, but they won't admit it. it I agree. It's, I just don't get why they're 
and it's almost as if we're falling into that, you know, the 50s stigma of, you know, the housewife who took a glass of wine every day or, or the 60s stigma of that where people came home and drank wine and they didn't want to admit it. Well, people are coming home. When you got $18 billion worth of sales, people are coming home and smoking some weed. Yeah. It's, it's that simple. It's yeah. true. And, and, you know, I got to say, Mon, uh, Montel, one of the things, you know, I want to thank you for being such a pioneer in, um, in your advocacy because it, it, it makes such an amazing difference. I mean, I started uh, writing about cannabis in America seven years ago. And when I did, I was just, you know, a middle-aged white guy and I'd been fed, you know, a load of lies for 40 years and came through the dairy years, that sort of thing. And I was very skeptical. And, but the more I, you know, fortunately, I had I had I had the um, uh, uh, the ability as a writer to start looking into this and reading books and listening to you and others, um, and came around and said, "Hey, wait a minute! This is this is not the way we're treating it. Uh, this is not you know this is not the danger that we've been told it is, and it it takes a lot of just consistent education and, and messaging. And it takes a little bit of boldness and bravery on the part of a lot of people to come out and say, yes, I do enjoy cannabis. Um, it took me a while uh, just, you know, and I'm in a pretty pri- privileged position as a, as a middle-aged white guy. Like I'm, I'm probably not going to get arrested as, as others would um, if I get caught with a joint. And, uh, but just, it took me a while to say, yeah, you know what? I do enjoy cannabis and it's okay. It's, it's, I have it in the evening. It's, it's relaxing for me, you know? And I think by just saying that out loud and continuing to, to hold to that and not apologize for it, more and more people are slowly opening their minds. I mean, my, my parents are in their seventies and they're very curious about it. You know, they, they didn't, uh, uh, they didn't have any idea, um, about what cannabis really was, was, or, or, um, uh, that the dangers really weren't there as they were told. And, and so they're, uh, uh, you know, they, they read our website and listen to our podcast every week and are like, Oh, tell me more about these infused gummies, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's very, very interesting when you say that your, your parents in their seventies and I'm in my sixties and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the, the beginning end of the, uh, of the baby boomer era and my older brothers and sisters, you know, like, come on, let's remember the sixties was the pack craze years. And, you know, people were, that's where, you know, we had the Woodstock and, you know, pot was seen everywhere. And, and, you know, so people born in the 50s and in the 40s do understand what it was. Maybe they didn't partake when they were growing up, but a large number of them did. And now that they're in their baby boomer cycle, you know, this would be such a much more advantageous, you know, vice for them to have than alcohol. And I think a lot of them are starting to realize that. But I don't know if this industry still has caught on to it even yet till today. We still spend more time trying to focus on the old paradigm of the 18 to 34 advertising market, where 18 to 34 doesn't have the same amount of disposable income as the, you know, 34 to 75 round do have. And so there should be more education, more education focused from our industry, from the B2B standpoint of recognizing that they need to do more work B2C, be the consumer, start educating the consumer even more. And I think we'd have more people speaking out about the fact that they're using something that has been proven to be efficacious. So, I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit more about the numbers. I mean, I think, or let's, let's also talk about the reality of today. I mean, we do have, you know, a vice president who was a former attorney general of the state that during her tenure, you know, the arrest numbers were through the roof 
for cannabis and the arrest numbers are through the roof for cannabis among people of color in the state of California, where people who weren't of color, state of, uh, of color didn't get arrested. And we see that across the country right now. We see, you know, a lot of the people who are being, you know, let out of prisons and people who are, are getting at second chance. It's not reflected in the numbers of people of color that are being let out for having previous, you know, uh, violations for non-violent crimes like cannabis. What do you think? I mean, a, a report like yours should, I think, be number one. I mean, the, the fact that nobody's even talking about it on the national level just blows my mind. Um, no, the fact that I can't get a national show talking about this blows my mind. Um, but what do you think it's going to take for us to be able to change this paradigm? Either one of you. I think I think one thing that it takes is just it. You know what? In covering this area for seven years, one of the things that is both um, it's frustrating, but it's also heartening is that change comes about so often in simple in one on one conversations and it, with with regard to cannabis um, and people's. You can change people's minds but it takes time, it takes consistent conversations about this issue. Um, I've been on Capitol Hill a couple of times uh, when uh, advocates for legalization have gone and talked to their members of Congress. Um, and I've been amazed when they sit down and, and some of them talk to their members of Congress. And this issue has never even crossed the mind of that, of that congressperson. Um, and, and they're like, oh, really? We have people who are doing this legally in my state? Oh, wow. And, and they're, they're my constituents and they number in the thousands and their jobs depend on legalization? I did not know that, you know? And that's, and that's, and we are plenty of politicians, including our current president and vice president, who had a hand in you know, locking up thousands and, and hundreds of thousands of people for simple cannabis possession. And, you know, that is to their discredit. But now we want to make sure they know they have an opportunity to help remedy that situation and help remedy it in a way that provides opportunity and economic growth for all Americans. Yeah, do you think that remedy is should come in the form of decriminalization? What do you think about that, Janessa? Because you know, to me, decriminalization, I think, would be the worst thing that, that this government could do. If you decriminalize, you say, we are just lessening the penalty for doing something that's breaking the law. And when cannabis isn't breaking the law, we need to get out of this mindset that because you do something, you equate you to a black person. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, we explore a lot of ideas about how we you know, get out of this situation that we're in right now. And yes, of course, we need to start with decriminalization because that's going to immediately start some level of protection for folks. But also we need to push for straight up legalization. I mean, it is some, it's time. I believe that we are in a place where the United States is ready for that. And not only that, we can't stop there. We also have to continue to make things right. So we need to make sure that uh, records are getting 
getting expunged, that people are experiencing clemency, that they are able to get jobs, that they're able to get school loans, that we give them some opportunity to live the same American life that everyone else is supposed to be able to live. Because otherwise, we're going to keep running into these same traps, these half legal traps, these places and states and regulations where you can possess, but you cannot distribute or, you know, you can not grow your own plants, things like that. We have to start normalizing this plant. We have to get rid of outdated attitudes, just like so many other outdated attitudes in our country. And we have to start educating and destigmatizing around the cannabis plant, or we're not going to go anywhere. And so as far as the administration goes, even if we could do something, you know, making sure that it's off the federal drug schedule, schedule one, why is that? Can we get an explanation of why that is there along with, you know, other substances that are so harmful? Um, Can we get an explanation even why looking at the numbers that this is so great for our economy, we don't want to adopt it as a, as a national strategy or even a state strategy in every single state to help boost our economy. I think it's important that we keep our current administration accountable for the promises that they did make to us. And we don't let the bar continue to be on the ground. We want to continue to say, hey, you have to do something about this because we can't give up on the people who are in prison right now. We can't give up on the people who have already been so damaged and so harmed by this industry. It is, you know, well, myself at least, I've, I'm of the millennial generation, so I still got plenty of time to fight this good fight. Um, I'm not going to give up on giving those people back a semblance of their life and repairing some of the harm that has been done to families for generations in the United States. And I do think that cannabis can serve as as an equalizer of that. Um, You know, learning about the differences between equity and equality, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're giving everybody a cannabis license. It means that we're trying to reinvest in communities that have been hurt and we're trying to get things to a balanced state. And so, yeah, we I mean, there's there's so much that we still have to do and so much that we still have to accomplish and educate on. But there are a few things I think we're at a point in which we don't have to debate them anymore. And decriminalization and legalization, expungement and clemency are all on my list of things that we don't need to be debating anymore. We need to be taking action. And, you know, let me ask you this question. What do you, and what do you think, Leafly, I mean, you guys are the voice of today, and I, I really applaud you, Leafly, for taking the stance that you've taken on so many issues related to cannabis and helping to educate and keep us all more educated. But, you know, I would almost think that now you have enough power to literally go in and kick open some doors in Hollywood to start changing the messages that's coming out of Hollywood. I, an example what I'm talking about is that, you know, I, I, I'm i one of those, just like anybody else, you're hunkered down at home. So what are you doing? You're watching TV and you're watching, you know, all of the different you know, streaming services. And I am just completely blown away by the number of really supposedly popular shows that are on there right now, series that are on there right now, where the hero or the heroine, you know, literally every time they walk in the front door of their house, they walk in the front door of their business, they pour themselves, you know, a three or four finger glass of some sort of brown liquor. Um, you know, Hollywood has no problem with making us all drunks. You know, I mean, they, they can literally project that and try to make you somehow feel sympathy for the drunk. Yet they won't show that same hero or heroine walking in the front door and grabbing a joint, not making a big deal about it, just grabbing a joint, lighting it up, putting it out, 
going about their business. How do we impact the storytellers? How do we, because that, to me, I think that's how you change. That's how we're going to change. When America finally allows you to enter their living room through their little box, that thing that's called a TV, that's when they'll begin. And I'm, I'm tired of hearing this crap about the fact that, you know, the, the because it's federally illegal, we don't want to uh, promote something. Excuse me, they're promoting alcoholism to the nth degree. So how do we get more messaging out here to Hollywood to tell Hollywood? And also, how do we get more of Hollywood to stop lying? I mean, the truth of the matter is, you know, there's a larger percentage of people in Hollywood that are consumers than will even admit on air. When, how do we get them to come up and step up to the table and say, yeah, I do, and what's the problem? Well, to me, that insinuates that we maybe need to get some new people in Hollywood. Quite frankly, um, we, we, you know, I'm a, a big fan of filmmakers like Ava DuVernay, who are constantly bringing in more people, um, expanding the breadth and the depth of the kind of entertainment that she creates. Or someone like Issa Rae on her show Insecure, they, were, they regularly consumed. You know, her friend came over and did yoga and they lit a joint. I think that there are storytellers out there that are trying to incorporate cannabis at the same level, show that we consume it at the same level, if not more, but they need more support. And we need, you know, some more fearlessness around the subject itself. And, and that itself, to be able to be fearless about it is a privilege. But if you've made it to Hollywood, a lot of the times you have that privilege. And so by supporting films, um, filmmakers, showrunners, storylines that center cannabis, center the the kind of the healing and the spirituality of it, I think that we will start to see something new. Um, in another show, I think I like about that, Queen Sugar. Queen Sugar does a really good job incorporating cannabis into their storyline as well. And, you know, kind of the different sides of things being illicit, things being legal, why people need it, how it's embedded in families from generation to generation. I think if we start highlighting stories like that more, that it will become much more normal to see on our television screens. You wanted to say something, Bruce? Oh, just, I think that, you know, that, uh, what Janessa was saying was one thing that really struck home with me is the more we see cannabis worked into shows that aren't about cannabis, where cannabis isn't the joke or the setup, but it's just a normal part of a character's life. Um, and it's it's um, consumed or enjoyed matter of factly, or it's it's used in a medicinal way, just matter of factly. Uh, I think that 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 will be a real step forward when we see more of that uh, happen, just as a matter of course. Absolutely, I agree with you. I think when it just becomes like I'm saying again, I can tune in every single one of the last seven to eight series that I have watched on you know one of the streaming services. I'm telling you, the character comes in, pours three or four fingers of brown liquor and belts it down as if it's water and then pours a second one. And they make that just part of the narrative. Nobody ever talks about it. Nobody says anything about it. Well, if that can be part of the narrative, then why isn't cannabis part of everywhere? We know that it's part of the daily narrative in most people's lives, a lot of people's lives. I mean, I think one of the stats that you put out in your report is that, you know, uh, individual purchases were up by 33 percent across the board. And. You know, that means that people are buying, people are going in and, you know, they're, they're ordering, they're, they're delivering at home. Um, people are consuming. Yeah. And I think one of the things you're getting at there, Montel, is this idea that that um, I think a lot of people who have no experience with cannabis 
have the misconception that folks who are using it medicinally or are enjoying it on their own um, are somehow out of control when they enjoy it. I think that that I've heard this even you know from my from my friends over the years saying, oh, I know you you know you like marijuana and you like to get stoned and all that sort of thing. I'm like, you know, I I do enjoy it, but I I don't feel like I get stoned when I'm in the way that you think I, I do. I, you know, I, it's for me, it's a, it's a bit of relief. It's I maybe enjoy a little more of it on a Friday night after a tough week, something like that. But really I'm not, I'm not out of control or, or, you know, tripping in the way that you might think I would have been in the seventies. It's, it's, it's very different than that. And I think the more that um, we can uh, show that experience um, and show the range of experiences that, that cannabis offers um, the more we can break down those barriers and, and keep erasing that, that really harmful stigma. Absolutely. And I think the more and more you, you nailed it. I mean, you know, I've been a consumer for, you know, 20 years straight now. And, you know, I think I would surprise people at my own consumption of what I do these days, you know, and it, my consumption has been, you know, on a curve throughout roller coaster throughout the 20 years. There was a period of time when I needed to use a lot more to help, deal with my neuropathic pain. But I think now over time, I've literally dealt with that. And so now my consumption isn't as great as it was even a year ago, though I consume CBD products and, and spectrum products, you know, all day long. And, uh, you know, my consumption of THC is really minimal these days. I mean, very, very minimal. I use enough just to make sure I, I don't, I don't need to walk around buzzed and high as a kite to, 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 to enjoy my cannabis. I enjoy it. You know, I am microdosing, you know, quite a bit. And there are a lot of people like me who microdose. And even though the sales go up because you want to make sure you're microdosing all day long and, you know, for a straight month, you need a little bit more product to be able to do that with. Um, I don't think people understand that at all. And I think, again, the more and more, you know, I'd love to team up with you guys at Leafly or, you know, and help put pressure on Hollywood to say, stop it, damn it. Start telling the right story and start talking the truth. Before we get out of here, though, you know, Janessa, I, I'd love to hear, you know, I know that you've been doing a lot of research on it. There, there are programs that are out there that are starting to look at, you know, inclusive ways to help those people, you know, in an equity way, break some of these barriers down. So you want to talk about a few of those, uh, uh, like there's some new lending options and, you know, some organizations that are, are set up to actually really do the work of helping people become more involved? Absolutely. I love talking about the cannabis community. I think that we really support each other in a lot of different ways. And as I've looked in different parts of the country to see who's helping who, I've been able to find some really awesome organizations. Um, there is a delivery service on the West Coast in California called Ease. They just recently launched their second year of a cannabis business accelerator purely focused on underrepresented entrepreneurs. Um, I love that program. I loved how that program took a wide range of applicants, which I was very lucky to be able to witness and pick 10 of them to give them $50,000 and mentorship for the next 12 weeks. They connect them in with actual, you know, executives and real people who can help them with their business plans so that they are ready to take on the world. Um, there are people like the good organization called Good Tree Capital, which is in Illinois. And not only are they um, coming up with ways to 
provide cannabis businesses with loans, because remember, you can't give a small business loan to start a small um, from the bank like you normally would. But also they have really paid attention to their algorithm and the way that they select the winners of this money. It's different than whatever equations the bank would run based on your credit score and based on a lot of things that are often intrinsically racist and or sexist. They're looking at your eligibility for those loans in a different way. And the money is getting sourced from the community and it's going back into the community. And so um, that business is actually also in charge of a really great fund in the state of Illinois, which is where the social equity applicants in that state will receive their funding once the state um, approves of their licensure. And so if we start thinking about ways that, you know, it, it really bites, I'll say it bites that it is so hard for people to get the money they need to start a cannabis business. But if we can lean into programs, accelerators, incubators that are helping these businesses grow and fostering a sense of mentorship, then I do believe that we will be able to see, you know, the models that are truly working, be able to expand across the country and we'll start to see change in a lot of different places. Thank you so much, both to you, Bruce Barkhart and Janessa Bailey. Thank you so much for being here and, and delivering, you know, some information about Leafly's 2020 Cannabis Job Report. Um, I hope that this just gets blown up across the country. If not, then I need to make sure you guys come back and spend a little bit more time on uh, Let's Be Blowing Montel and let's keep blowing it up so people understand that this is a real industry. It's an industry that's growing. It's an industry that could save this country if we just pay attention. So thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you tune into the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.